Thank you so much, Elder Wing, for leading us in our time of service. Thank you to our musicians for leading, and thank you to the Crummy DG Group, or Crumbs DG Group. <laughs> it's a very special name. We have no control over people's names, but all those are very uh, clever and creative ways to understand ourselves biblically. On behalf of all of us who are new with us, we welcome you here to ARPC to always encounter God. And we encounter God how? By encountering God in His Word. And so it's a wonderful time to come at the start of the year. So have you ever asked for help? And the answer is absolutely yes. There's no one seated here who somewhere along the line of your life has not asked for help. Have you ever sent an SOS message? And it depends on what kind of need you ha have at that moment. And if you are a different country, different place, have you called 999? Have you called 911? Or have you simply called family or friends when you are in need of something? Or have you called a stranger if your family and friends are unavailable to you? So I do not know whether you came across this news item yesterday, that a dog got stranded on a seven-storey building in Malaysia, and the firemen went in to try and save that dog. And this, this is how it looks. Go backwards. How do we go backwards? Oh, oh go forwards. Wait, hang on now. Eh? This is supposed to be the most wonderful clicker. If I click here, you can see it in Bishan. <laughs> so you see the fireman is there, right? He's coaxing and coaxing that dog to come. And then the fire department put this up, and it went viral. <laughs> it went viral, and they, some people said, maybe the dog is a female, and instead of offering food, should have offered flowers. <laughs> When people call for help, they need specific help, right? But whatever it was, right, kudos to the firemen. And there was a national outpouring of thanksgiving because the fire services, the DR version of SCDF, has just gone all out in the landslides of Gunting Highlands. And they sacrificed their life for that. So have you ever asked for help? And what kind of help? Somewhere along the line, we got to realise that the world, especially nature and animals, are under threat. Unknown to us, many of the animals and wildlife are on the verge of extinction. Unknown to us, illegal wildlife trade, trade kills about 30,000 elephants each year for their tasks. 95% of the rhinos alive 40 years ago have been hunted and killed. I want to assure you, you are not tuned into National Geographic. But what's the importance about this? And so, when an elephant is killed for its task, this is how it might look. Right? They hack off its face, they cut off its tusk, and they leave the elephant to die a slow death. When you take your shark's fin, this is what a finless shark looks like. They cut it off, right? And so we go backwards. And through all this, right? One of the worst culprits threatening wildlife is actually us, Asians, Chinese, who have different ideas right, of what are medicinal foods, what is precious and what we treasure. So they got Yao Ming, the first Chinese NBA star, to champion a campaign. And the name of the campaign was, I'm finished with Finns. <laughs> and he, he succeeded in convincing his countrymen to give up on our traditional delicacies, shark fin soup. And so if you read that with some care, we go backwards, right? 
And in 206, I'm just going to read here on my thing. Can you see it there? In 2006, 75% of Chinese didn't know that sharks were killed to make a shark fin soup. But now, 91% of Chinese support a nationwide ban thanks to activism work by Yao Ming and others. So I'm finished with fins. Because he was so successful, he damed, he, uh, Yao Ming then became the poster boy for what? He became the poster boy for the preservation of rhinoceros and elephants. In a 2007 survey by International Fund for Animal Welfare, found that 70% of Chinese people did not know that ivory comes from dead elephants. The Chinese word for ivory is, my Mandarin is very poor, so please correct me afterwards. Xiang Ya, is it? Okay, you got it right. I got it wrong. Okay. It literally translates into elephant teeth, creating the misconception that ivory falls out and then will grow back naturally. And so, he became the poster boy. And what can we learn from this? That using Yao Ming as the poster boy, as the ambassador to save wildlife, sending a SOS message is genius. By genius, there was unmatched wisdom in choosing him. There was, it was a very good choice. It was a good decision. By genius, we mean that this is the supreme and best effort to send an ultimate SOS. And he's the voice of the cries of animals that cannot speak to us. If we exhaust this SOS and do not respond, it's actually the end. And so, John uses the word logos, translated the word. John's use of the word logos is actually a supreme effort, a genius effort. Why? Because it's the reverse. It's God's final SAS, SOS to us. He's out to save our souls. He's out to save us. And He knows our predicament. And ultimately, in the fulfilment of His promises, He has sent the Word to become flesh. Why is this genius? Much more genius than choosing Yao Ming to be a spokesperson for the preservation of wildlife. Because the Greek word logos, translated into the word in English, was known by the two main races of the first century. And the two main races of the first century were Gentiles and Jews. That's how God thought about the world. There were only two races, Jews and Gentiles. And so what's so clever or intelligent or so wise about this choice of this word? Of course, John was writing under the sovereignty of God. He was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so very important that we get this right. So a possible outline of this passage in this sermon is this. What's the outline? It speaks in the first few verses about the eternal Word of God. And then he's going to tell you this eternal Word is the same Word that created the entire universe. But last but not least, the message is this eternal Word, which is the creating Word, is also the saving Word of God. And so the significance of the Word become flesh which means everyone tuning in here, five, six hundred of us, right? Zen, Bishan, they're on the internet when people tune in. This is a word you cannot ignore. If you've got no heart for animals and no heart for nature, you may well ignore Yao Ming. 
as the spokesperson for a, for, a, for a world that is dying, for animals that may go extinct. But if you reject this word, there is no escape clause for you. This is God's final SOS handed to you. And so I pray that you will not listen to a sermon. You would listen to the voice of God speak through a servant of God. This is vitally important. Are you awake? That was to wake you up. That you can't listen to this without a rightful response to the Word of God. So why was it genius under God's sovereignty and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that John would choose the word Logos? Because this word was known to both Jews and Gentiles, we said. And God said, and it was. So the Logos word is the wise word of God. And that's why we read in responsive reading, the first time this is used is in the very first book of the Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? And God created everything. He created the heavens and the earth. So the Logos is like a wise word, like a master craftsman. And Proverbs 8.30 refers to this. Logos is the powerful word, and you can read it in Isaiah 40 verse 8. That means whenever God speaks His Word, it will always accomplish it. So in Singlish, we say, God's word uh, can make it one. Uh, can make it. Your word uh, cannot make it. I have said this a million times. God speaks. God spoke and it was so. So it's Chinese New Year here. A high proportion of us are Chinese. Here in Singapore, Malaysia, right around the Southeast Asia. It's, and Chinese New Year, we take spring cleaning seriously. Is that right? Mona, my wife, did a whole day of spring cleaning. So I had to massage her yesterday. Right. And so it's very good, spring cleaning. If only we could come to every Christmas, every New Year, every Chinese New Year and say, be clean. And your HDB flat, automatically be clean. You said, be clean, and it was not so. There are many things you say, it's not so. And some of you may be a little bit overweight, even before Chinese New Year and you eat the goodies. And you may say to yourself, be slim, and it's not so. So your word and my word cannot make it one. You've got problems and you wish you could say, be soft. And it was not so. God speaks and His word always makes it. He begins with a grand purpose. It's a benevolent purpose, a goodwill purpose, making us in His image to bless us. That's a simple purpose of God. I exist to bless you. You exist to worship me in return. Amen? But we would not listen to the simple purpose of God. And God is not just purposeful, He is powerful. And then to the Greeks, what is the Logos? The Logos is the implanted word. They had this concept that because the Greeks believe in many gods, many idols, with many temples, right? And they believe in philosophy being the solution to all things, that the concept of something is more important than the thing itself. So if you don't know what that means, huh? so the Greeks would ask, which is more important, the chair or the idea of a chair? Answer correctly, yeah? Which is more important? For those who are very practical, of course, the chair. Lah. <laughs> but for the Greeks, it's the idea of the chair. Because you can destroy this chair, as long as I have an idea of a chair, I can make another chair. They believe in philosophy, that concepts and ideas were more important. So they had this concept of idea of this logos which controlled and ordered everything in the universe, right? 
So the gods, whoever they are in Greek mythology and Greek philosophy, they left behind a giant cosmic OS operating system. And it's just out there. It's just out there ordering things in the universe and ordering things in the plant world, the animal world, and in the human world. The only thing about this Logos is that they believe that this, this Logos was inanimate. It's non-living. It's just out there as an idea. It's out there as a concept. The gods just left it out there in outer space. John knows this Logos is well known by Jews and Greeks. He takes the word, he empties it of the wrong meaning and then fills it with the God meaning now. And now you have to listen to this. And so one way to understand the first 18 verses of chapter 1, John chapter 1, is that we call this the prologue. Or we call this, if you're more musical, you ever watch a musical, right? Lame is rub in theatre, sound of music. So just doing a check. Have you ever heard of the movie, The Sound of Music? How many of you have not heard? Oh, sorry, Let, let's do the positive one. How many of you have heard of The Sound of Music? Hands up. Okay, the rest of you, we'll educate you. After, we'll take names after that. Okay. So The Sound of Music, very well known among Western movies, etc., etc. So if you watch the movie or you watch the musical version of it or Les Miserables or any theatrical presentation, what happens in the first few minutes? There's what we call an overture. In that overture, they play a few notes of all the songs that will be sung throughout that presentation. So if you watch The Sound of Music, it may begin with Do a dear, a female dear, boom. Then it goes on to, uh, I wrote down here, I simply remember my favourite things, and then boom, and goes on to the next one. Otherwise, Otherwise, every morning you greet me. Austrian national song. Very important. And then the final scene when the family runs away from the Nazis who have come to conquer Austria. They run away. It's climb every mountain, climb every mountain. The prologue is like that. It plays for you the signature tunes so that when you read the 21 chapters, you will say, I heard that before, I heard that before. And so what are the main themes that you will find in the rest of the gospel? You'll find life is used very often. In him was the life, and it's used 36, 36 times. Light, 23 times. Witness, the noun is 14 times. The verb, bearing witness, is used 33 times. Belief, take a look at this. For those who receive him and believe in him, he gave them the right to become children of God. This, the purpose statement of John in John's Gospel is John 20, 30, 31. All these signs are written so that you might believe. So believe is a huge word. And then world is used 78 times. Of course, that varies according to which version, whether we go back straight to the Greek and whether the Greek. And sometimes there are two, three Greek words for the same thing. But here is an example of the statistics within it. And so it's important to understand. And with that overview, we now look at these verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let me ask you as you read verse 1, are you lost? It's so heavy with truth, with true doctrine, you cannot miss it. You cannot look at verse 1 and say, too chim for me, which if you're not 
Chinese or Hokkien. It's too deep for me. It has nothing to do with my life. And so let me try to unpack it as best as I can for you. The Word was with God. What does that mean? There was a time when there were no... Can you fill that in for me? There was a time in which there were no cars, only khakis, legs. And then came bicycles, and then came trishaws, and then came horses and carriages. So if you went to tour on holiday, a country like Italy or parts of England, it's so narrow because it wasn't built for roads. It wasn't built for cars. There were no cars at that time. There were only horses and carriages. There was a time in those no cars. There was a time in which there were no aeroplanes. Can you believe that? That people travel from one, one country to the other by ships. It might take a whole week. It might take two weeks. My parents came from China on a junk boat. And two weeks, my mother said, the worst thing in her life, right? The whole day just in the junk boat, so crowded, right? Just vomiting all the way. No such thing as motion sickness tablets. This was the early 1920s. There was a time in which there were no aeroplanes. There was a time in which there was no, no internet. No Wi-Fi. Always got Wi, but no Wi-Fi. Right? There was a time in which there were no handphones. No Facebook. No Instagram. No TikTok. No TikTok. None of those things were around 15 years ago. But life has changed. You can never say that of the Logos. There was never a time in which the Word was not there. The Word is as eternal as God Himself. So it speaks about, about the pre-existence of this Logos. And that's to drive home the importance of this Logos. It's not for you to hear and then dismiss this Logos that became flesh. And then goes on, was with God. With God is, this Logos was with God, the mere presence of God. But that's not its meaning, that this was the mere presence of God. And so you could be present with people, but not in relationship with them. In what sense? So, you're on holiday, you lost your wallet. Your wife and her children were with you. As you lost your wallet, your wife and children were with you. They were with you. And what was your response as you lost your wallet? You blamed your wife, you blamed your children, you had a meltdown, right? They were with you. You are at MRT, you walk out and you step on a puddle of water, you slip and you fall, and then you lash out at, the, at people around you. you. People could be with you. And so the meaning of with is this. It's not merely the presence, not merely present with God. Literally, the word was faced towards God. The Word has always been in the deepest intimate relationship with God. When you are with someone, beginning with your family, and something happens, your face is not turned towards them. Your face is turned against them. And in a meltdown moment, you spend your time blaming them for things that go wrong. You blow a tire and say, Ayah, every time with you, bad luck. You are with your loved ones, but you blame. The Word never does that. And so, in the words of one scholar, he says, what God was, the Word also was. It's the deep, intimate relationship. I, I do not know whether you're still with me. We are only on verse 1. But it's so mighty and majestic. And so, I can only summarize verse 1 for you. That this is perhaps the meaning of it. Eternality. 
There never was a time when the word was not there. The pre-existing word, intimacy, never a time when the word was not in the closest, deepest, intimate relationship with God. He was not just present with God and blaming God and blaming each other. He was never turned against God the Father. And then deity. There was never a time when the word was not God. Immediately, he has divested it of the Greek meaning. The Greek meaning is God left an inanimate object out there in outer space called Logos as the operating system of the world. He tells you that this word is alive. This word is in an intimate relationship with God, and this word was none other than God. That's how he takes a word, empties it of its wrong meaning, and fills it with the God and gospel meaning. I want you to hang on to this for yourself. That if the word become flesh, it's actually this, and it is. The message to John's audience in the first century Christians, they were increasingly opposed and persecuted for believing in Jesus as their Saviour and their Lord. The Word become flesh. So for them to know the existence of this Word, the purpose of this Word is very important, so be assured. And then it goes on. All things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so, very important that we understand this as best. He's striking the main notes in this overture. Don't forget. He's saying, right, like Genesis 1, in the beginning God, fourth word is God, in the beginning God. He made the heavens and the earth. Just that first statement says, there is nothing in the entirety of the, the vastness of the universe and the tininess of every cell in our body that is not made by God. Everything finds its audit trail back to God, the Creator. And the new thing is everything finds its audit trail back to the Logos, who was with God and was God in the beginning. And that's mighty. This is a supreme operating system. He so happens to be alive. And so he goes on to, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. When you read John carefully, his meaning of life tilts more and more towards eternal life. He's not speaking about biological life. He's not speaking mainly about earthly life. He leans towards this. And so I ask of you, what's your memory verse of John of John? 21 chapters. Which verse have you memorized? Which word? Which word? Which verse that non-Christians might know? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the verse that tells you that John's use of life is not about earthly life, but everlasting life, eternal life. And everlasting life is not the forever life in terms of quantity. This life will go on and on. Why go on and on if it's full of sin? Why go on and on? This is the quality of life when you come to know God. This is the quality of life. This is the difference of life when you give your life to the Word become flesh. It's the quality of life more than the quantity of time. 
eternal life. That you who didn't know God have now come to know Him in the Word become flesh. And so a snapshot of that in the Gospel is when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. I do not know what Jesus' movies you have watched. Whatever Jesus' movie I've watched, when it, if they include this scene, when Jesus stands and says to Lazarus at the tomb, Lazarus, come forth. I always have ghost pimples. He comes forth. You ever been to a funeral in which you dare to say, come forth? They will ask you to see a psychiatrist straight away. There is only one man who can pronounce those words as much as be clean, be safe, come forth. The word become flesh is purposeful and powerful. Can make it one. Can make people come back from the dead one. Is that right? Yes. You're going to read that in 21 chapters. And light is most likely the moral or spiritual enlightenment of God's holiness shining in our sinfulness, of God's justice shining in our injustice. As you live in this world, as you come, to, if you have a conscience, and the conscience is more and more enlightened by the, the Word of God, by the Gospel, you should know that we live in a very unequal world. In a country like Singapore, we are very concerned about the Gini coefficient, the gap, the income gap between those who are rich and those who are poor. Israel is supposed to be the light of God's world to the Gentiles. In Israel's life, she was no different to the Gentiles. The genie coefficient in the first century among the Jewish people was no different to the Gentile world. Rich Jews impoverished poor Jews. They got poorer and then they took away their land. Prophet after prophet was sent by God to say, you should not do this. I told you to love your neighbour. I didn't tell you to beggar your neighbour. And just because you turn up at the temple, you give a bit of sacrifices, you think God doesn't see what's happening in your heart? That you get richer and your fellow brothers get poorer? So there was a lot of darkness in Israel's line. And the chief priests, the priests, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, who was the top class people, sold religion to them nominal religion, superficial religion, just give, no need to give your life and your heart. God's light versus darkness. And so the world that we live in without God is full of darkness. Can we agree on that? That the world that we live in is full of darkness, beginning where the darkness in your heart and my heart. And so MSF has just given these stats, right? In a, in a speech given by the minister, Minister Sun Su Ling, is it? I can't pronounce that name properly. And so she says, the cry for help to the MSF Child Protective Service. In 2017, the cry for help to Child Protective Service, 3,300. Then the Adult Protective Services, 480, 2017. Five years, um, three years later in 2020, the cry for help for Child Protective Services had jumped from 3,300 to 5,200. The cry for help for Adult Protective Services in Singapore had jumped from 480 to 1,200 or more. There are more and more people crying out for help in Singapore, from children 
to adults, even as we get richer financially and materially and become, a, and become truly a first world nation. And so do you believe this? There is darkness in your heart and darkness in my heart. If not for the word become flesh that brings life, eternal life, quality with God and shines light into our life, we will forever, we will forever beggar our neighbour, not prosper and bless our neighbours. And then he moves on. In John 1.14, this is the climax. The word became flesh. Notice the exact language is, it's not that the word became man. Flesh refers to our fallenness, our fallen nature, our sinful nature. In other words, it's God's way of saying to John who wrote this, the word became all that we are and all that we are subjected to. We are made in the image of God, but we are the fallen image of God. We are made in the image of God, but become sinful beings. Instead of loving God with all our heart and mind and soul and loving our neighbours ourselves, we do not love each other. And so, the only difference is this. The only difference is that as he took on flesh, he never sinned. He took on flesh, but he never sinned. He was subjected to all the vulnerabilities and the weaknesses, but he never sinned. And so, again, still on SOS, I wonder of the 5,200 sending messages to the Child Protective Services, to the 1,200 sending, what message would they have sent? Could it be? Could it be that you call them and say, I hear loud voices, very loud voices in my neighbour, in my HDB block. I'm so afraid that something might happen. Can you come? A husband and wife are shouting at each other. Children are shouting at each other. Or could the SOS be, someone is standing on the ledge. Someone is standing on the ledge. Can you come? I do not know whether you come in time. Someone has suicidal ideation. I just saw downstairs in the void deck, right? A teenage son shoved his father. The father fell backwards and the son laughed at him, got into the lift and just went up. My demented father, his memory is going. I went to take a shower. I, I take showers very quickly for three minutes, four minutes, I'm out of the shower. And then I left the key in the, in the door. My father is gone. Can you please come and help me? Could it be like this? This is the world we live in. If you say you have never called for help, you're totally unreal. I'm totally unreal and deluded. It is into this world that God sent His Son, the Word, to become flesh. And so because the technical word is, He left the glories of heaven to come to the goriness of earth. Of earth. Captured in one word is incarnation. He stepped into the world so that we will stop stepping on each other's toes. That's a simple summary of John 1.14. He stepped into our world so that you will not keep stabbing each other in the back. Is that too hard to follow as a simple Christian message, a gospel message? Or are you going to carry on with the New Year stabbing each other in the back and stepping on each other's toes from the time you wake to the time you sleep? And so if that is true, and this is the doctrine he speaks about, an intimate word with God was God, came into human history. You can never say to God and never say to Jesus, what? You can never say to God and say to Jesus, you have no idea what I'm going through. 
God has more than a hint of what you're struggling with in your fallen nature. God has more than an idea of the suffering that you bear as your relationships sour and your thoughts and your words against each other become venomous and bitter. As you face the disappointments in life, as you face the anxieties of life, as you face the depressions and the suicidal ideations, you must never be led by Satan to think God is out there like an operating system and he doesn't care. He knows, but he doesn't care. The word become flesh is totally different. You lost a child to miscarriage. You lost a father whom you never want to say goodbye to, but had to say goodbye to because such a good father or mother or grandpa. Please be assured that God has more than an idea of what we are going through. And some of you may have arrived here with very broken hearts. And I want to assure you on behalf of God, as a brother in Christ, as a pastor, take hold of John 1 to, 1 to verse 18, but especially of the word become flesh, which means God is loving enough. And how do you know God is loving enough? You're loving enough to enter into someone else's world. And he came and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that word, dwelt among us, is a very precious word from the Old to the New Testament. It's a word that was given to Israel after God rescued her from hundreds of years of slavery to a human oppressor, Pharaoh. Hundreds of years of slavery to a pagan nation, a nation that worshipped false gods instead of the true and the living God. And as they came out, God tabernacled among them. The word is Shekinah. He tented among them. He came and was with his people, and he brought them out of slavery into the promised land. And in that promised land, they built a more permanent thing called the temple. And so it's important that we understand that this word has come from the glories of heaven to the goriness of earth. He came to tabernacle among us. Which tells you that the permanent departure of God from the world, from your life and my life, when you consciously or unconsciously evict God and live in independence of Him and live in rebellion of Him, it dehumanizes us. I've said this again and again. You ask any children, right, from young to old, who come from a broken home. They might share stories like this of the dot points of their life. The day my father walked out to live with his girlfriend or concubine was the day I died. The walking out of his father is what deformed him, dehumanized him. Something within his God-created nature died because no matter how young you are as a child, you know that this marriage is supposed to last. It's given by God. And when Satan and sin turns up, what is given by God becomes deformed and destroyed. And here is the promise of the word become flesh. It's the permanent presence of God that will humanize you and reach you and reach the glory of your humanity. Not going backwards to creation, but going forward because now you're being made remade in the image of God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So if that is true, then 
There's a phrase, right? About grace upon grace. And that grace upon grace, read it carefully, right? What is this thing about grace upon grace? That the law came to Moses. Grace and truth came to Lord Jesus. And so he's saying, whatever you do not know about God, and from Israel's history, right? Everything that happened to Israel, we would think the law came to Moses. Huh? And some people have this mistaken idea. I want to correct it today. That in the Old Testament, God was an angry God. That's why he gave law. Thou shall not, thou shall not, thou shall not. And then slowly through time, God like us, in, in Chinese, Zhangdala, he matured. So he moved from being an angry God to a gracious God. So the entire Old Testament, you meet a God who's angry. By the New Testament, you meet a God who's gracious. That's not what John is saying on behalf of God. God didn't changta and mature and move from anger, quick to anger, long, to, long, to ang long in his anger, never forgiving. He's slow to anger, quick to forgive. That's the character of God you read in Nehemiah. That's the character of God you read in Old Testament passage after Old Testament passage. Grace upon grace basically means, has there ever been a time in Israel's life and your life and my life where God hasn't been gracious to you? God was gracious in giving them the law through Moses. Without that law, there would be a lawless people like the Gentiles. You want to see how lawlessness works? You want to see how lawlessness works? It's just in one area of life. The lawlessness works in Leviticus 18, in the sexual dimension of life. If you do not have the law of God, you will sleep with your father and mother. You might sleep with your sister or your brother. You will commit incest. If you do have, not have this law, you will sleep men to men, women to women. If you do not have the law of God that I'm giving to you by grace, you might ultimately in your depravity sleep with an animal, bestiality. Read Leviticus carefully. The law of God is actually grace to grace you from being living an anarchic life, a life without boundaries. And please do not believe that a life without boundaries is the free life and the full life. It's a life, is a lie of the evil one. So has there been a time in which God has not been gracious towards you? Answer, no. At every point, and now the word become flesh is grace upon grace. And his response to this word is grace upon grace. And it's become the children, upon God, children of God, no children of the, of the devil, no longer children of the world, is grace upon grace. Ponder that for a while. Has there been a time in which God has not been gracious to me, Chris? Gracious to Bim, gracious to Wing, gracious to you. Just put your name there. And the answer you must reach honestly is, when you look back at his story of salvation, God has been super abundantly gracious towards you. That's why the number one song of all time in the English-speaking world is Amazing Grace. So what does this have to do with you and me? And it ends in this way. For the law was given to Moses, grace and truth came to Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, only God, who is at the Father's side. He's always with the Father, never against the Father. He has made him known. In the words of one scholar, no one reveals God, the invisible God, more fully and truly than God's Son. Is that so hard? So by God's grace, we've got two grandchildren. And the joke is, whether we're my children or grandchildren, 
most times when people look at our grandchildren, they'll say, oh, it looks like Mona. Looks like the maternal grandmother. Looks like no one has ever said they look like you. So all I say is I've got very gentle genes. Not aggressive genes, not assertive genes. So I give way. <laughs> so you can't see my children. They, they are my grandchildren, maybe. But in Jesus, you see all the attributes and characteristics of God that God resides in this man. He is God in the flesh. And that's so important for us to realize. So if Jesus is the word become flesh, I want to ask you, how is your hearing? You have no right, and I have no right, to merely discuss Jesus as if he came into the world as the number one topic of discussion for you. You have no right, and I have no right, to simply study Jesus as if he came as a specimen for us to study. He came to reveal God to us. He's God's final revelation, fullness of revelation for final redemption, which means if you listen to him and you receive him, receive him means you give your whole life to him, not just receive him intellectually. You surrender your life to him, you die to self, you take up the cross, you follow him. He will give you the right to become children of God. So no place to superficially accept Him. So I want to warn myself, I warn you, as you read your Bible, have your Bible devotions, as you join discipleship groups, right? we do not merely gather to study God. He studies us and is asking, Joseph, Wendy, are you listening to me about my son? And so I do not know how you respond to this. Eternity has gatecrashed into history. God has kindly gatecrashed into your story. Jesus has entered my world, and we can never think and say to him, you do not know what I'm going through. He knows. And so Wings our Elder, I came to know him as a young student in Sydney, Australia. I was the pastor of the campus group at University of New South Wales in Sydney, and he wasn't a Christian. And as he came along and did Bible study, one of the main questions he kept asking him that was hindering from giving his life to Jesus was, I, I understand you Christians, you all believe in Sabbath day, right? So Sabbath day, you all do, cannot do anything, right? Cannot study also, right? Can study or not? Can, cannot study. Because he we came from a poorer background. His dad passed away when he was very young. His mother was single mom to raise him, together with help from uncles. And so every dollar they sent him to study from Malaysia to, to Australia was precious. And he didn't want to mess it up. And so, can I study on a Sunday was very huge to him. And finally, through prayer and persistent Bible study, he gave his life to Christ. And today, he's an elder. You know anything about him? Right? Did you listen to him at the start of the service? He's quite funny in his dry humor. Is that right? right? And just to hear him say, right, when you have devotions with your wife, Look her in the eye. In the end of it, hold her hand. Let her talk, talk, talk. <laughs> then you slowly ask her to read the Bible with you. Could be the same, you as wives to your husbands, right? He looked after his mother all these years. I looked after my mother for about 22 years. From the time she was 78 to 101 when she passed away, 22, 23 years. He, I think, outdid me. And the way he looked after his mum, when I hear the different anecdotes, 
When a mum passed away, I was overseas in Batam for a synod meeting. I could only call him and cry with him. And at the funeral, which I couldn't attend, Wing just cried and cried because he knew how much sacrifice the mother did for him. I'm saying to you, I'm just sketch his life for you. That this is a man who went from worrying, do I have to give my Sundays, to giving his whole heart to Jesus and loving Jesus. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. Changes the way you relate to your wife, changes the way you treat your parents, changes the way it changes you from, from a new heart to new behaviors. Because Jesus has entered your world and so important. Are you walking towards God? Are you walking away from God? And that's vitally important. And so we must come to an end. Whatever you're going through, let Jesus' suffering outweigh our suffering. And you'll find many snippets of that in the 21 chapters. And let Jesus' glory outweigh our glory. And there are many people looking for their own glory from the rich, from the rich ruler to the Pharisees and the chief priests. Ultimately, it was the last chapter of John 21. The last chapter is Jesus appears. The risen Jesus appears to Peter. Peter who denied him three times. Peter who said he will never deny Jesus, though all deny him. And Jesus forgives him, restores him, and sends him out. You get a picture of someone who superficially received this, superficially believe in Jesus, and by the end of the gospel, truly believe. He trusted in his own self-sufficiency, and his self-sufficiency couldn't save him. Each one of us will be taken by John in this gospel, by the Spirit of God, to meet Jesus afresh. And in meeting Jesus afresh, your life and my life will never be the same. So I read about Michel Andre. Michel Andre is a naturalist. And so what he's gone to do, he's so concerned as we, maybe Yao Ming did, so concerned about the possible extinction of animals and the threat to nature around us. So he's made it a lifelong dream of his, his passion, right? Michel Andre, to put, to put microphones in the highest mountains and remotest parts of the world, to plunge micro, microphones in the deepest depths of the ocean, to plunge microphones microphones in as many parts of the created world because you can hear the sounds of animals and nature crying out to help. It gives you an example of whales. Now, this particular type of whale, right? They are so messed up by all the ships on our oceans that when they send out sonar location to find out there's an object to them, when so many vessels, the, the whales became deaf and they crashed and they died located microphones everywhere to hear the cries. God has located his number one microphone into the world. His name is Jesus. Amen? He hears the cries of what you're going through. You can never say to God, you can never say to God, you don't know what I'm going through. And so it's vitally important that we get this right. Can you spend some time in quiet response in prayer? Let's stand together.
Father, we bow before you and know that we live in a world that has turned against you, a world that is independent, proud, forgetful of you, forsaking of you. Thank you that you've not forsaken the world. Thank you that you send your Son into the world. We thank you for this beautiful and glorious words in John 1, the prologue, the overture of all that the Word is. And we pray that we will take to heart that this Word is life, the light of men, shining into our darkness and offering to turn us to, the, to become children of God. May we humbly and truly receive and believe in Jesus. We thank you and praise you that you are God who is not ignorant and not uncaring of what we struggle in, struggle with in our fallenness and our sinfulness. You have come to give us Jesus who hears the cries of all the people and absorbs your wrath, forgives our sin, destroys the work of the evil one. We pray for true new beginnings by surrendering our lives to Jesus. We thank you and praise you that the word has become flesh. Amen.